Uh, yeah, we're opening our Easter season today. It's Palm Sunday today. I hope you've managed to get one of these booklets. Uh, we're looking at promise, passion, purpose, and power over the next week or so. Uh, and we really hope that we will connect with you uh, in our messages. I'd like to open this morning uh, by telling you about a man called Stephen Lungu. Stephen was the oldest son of a teenage mum. She had been married off by her parents to a much older man. They lived in a black township near Salisbury in Rhodesia in the late 1940s and 1950s. When Stephen was just seven years old, his mother ran away, leaving him and his younger brother and sister in the care of an aunt. This aunt did not want Stephen. By the time Stephen Lungu was 11 years old, he'd run away, preferring life on the streets. He slept under bridges and scavenged food from white folks' dustbins so that he could survive. As a teenager, he got recruited into an urban gang called the Black Shadows. They did beer, they uh, did drugs, they stole stuff, uh, they caused a lot of trouble. By the late 1950s and early 1960s, the Black Shadows were hard at work in a township in Salisbury. And as part of the kind of political scene then, agitators got into the Black Shadows to get them to cause as much civil unrest and disruption as possible. So Stephen and his gang and other gangs like his threw petrol bombs into restaurants and they disrupted public gatherings. They started riots, they burned police cars, they mugged people to steal their money. Stephen had grown up rejected and disowned. It had made him frightened and angry, but in his new role, troublemaking lifestyle of the Black Shadows, He kind of enjoyed it. He felt important in his gang, powerful, useful, in control. And it helped him to get his own back against people and a system that had badly let him down. One Sunday evening in 1962, the Black Shadows decided to firebomb a bank in a shopping center. They looked forward to it, and it was Stephen who was going to lead the attack. They packed their bags with homemade explosives, petrol bombs, and knives. Now, while they were on their way, they came across a huge evangelistic tent mission run by an an organization called the Dorothea Mission. They couldn't believe their luck at stumbling on this meeting because to petrol bomb a tent with several thousand Christians inside would have given them huge kudos as a gang. So Stephen posted some of his gang members at the entrances to the tent and, and then he and some of his friends went inside to see what was going on in this meeting. Little did Stephen know it, but that evening he walked right into the promise of God. I want to talk today from my heart about promise. A promise is something great that is first created in words. A promise is fulfilled when those words turn into reality. When someone takes every step they can to make their promise a reality, it communicates huge value to us. Equally, promises are tragic when they are broken. When a promise is broken, it feels as though something good that could have become reality did not turn out that way and our hopes get dashed. Promises are a very special thing when they are made and fulfilled between people. When it comes to God, promises are not just special, they work on an altogether other level, a higher level. Promises from God have the power to create completely new realities, not just for us but for many other people too. The promise of God over all our lives is a truly incredible thing. And Stephen Lungu's story is an incredible testimony about the promise of God. It's a story told in a book called Out of the Black Shadows, The Amazing Transformation of Stephen Lungu. 
Now, I don't often read books in a single day, but this book was one of them. This book is outstanding. It's easily in my top 10 Christian books of all time. I've ordered some copies of this book uh, for people to buy from our info point downstairs after the service. They're £9 each, and if you'd like to get one, please just go and buy one. And if we run out, leave your name, we'll order it for you, and you can get it either on Easter Sunday or, or in the weeks following. The story of Stephen Lungu is an amazing story of transformation as a result of a dramatic encounter with the promise of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, when you walked in here this morning, you may well have seen our plaque downstairs that describes everything we're about as a church. Birmingham City Church is all about life transformation. We believe that when God transforms lives through the promises that he makes to us, and when we act in faith in response to those promises, not only are our own lives changed, but other people's lives are also transformed as they watch our transformation. Our mission statement as church is transformed lives transforming lives. Jesus can change you, and as he changes you, others will be changed through watching you change. There is huge potential in the promise Jesus has for our lives. There is huge potential in the promise that God relentlessly speaks over our lives through his word and through our church. So today is the day we celebrate Palm Sunday in the Christian calendar. It is the occasion when Jesus rode humbly on a donkey into Jerusalem. Let's briefly hear that account from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. It'll come up on the screen for you. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Palm Sunday is an incredibly important day in the life and ministry of Jesus because on this day, three strands of God's promise for all human beings converge together. First and number one, Palm Sunday is God's promise fulfilled. Second and number two, Palm Sunday is at the same time as that God's promise exceeded. Third and number three, Palm Sunday is also God's promise announced. Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem that day is God's promise fulfilled. Everything about the Old Testament points to the person of Jesus in some way or another even if it's not obvious on the surface. Matthew's description that we just heard refers to a prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9, calling Jerusalem to rejoice at her king, riding righteous, humble, and victorious. And if you think about it, a prophecy is just like a promise. A promise is something great that is first created in words, and when a promise is fulfilled, what first got painted in words gets turned into reality. 
So any prophecy from the Old Testament which talks about Jesus is, God, is God's promise to us becoming real. It's literally the word becoming flesh. Now scholars have looked closely at the number of prophecies which are fulfilled in the person of Jesus and some have suggested that there could be as many as 300 of them that point to Jesus from the Old Testament. So for example, the crucifixion of Jesus was foretold in Psalm 22 around a thousand years before Christ was born long before even that method, of that method of execution was even invented. I discovered something uh, truly staggering in the Old Testament a few years back, underlining the promise of God to us being fulfilled in Jesus as far back as Genesis. If you translate the first 10 names of the Bible, you get the gospel message. Did you know that? Let's have a look at that. Adam means man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring. Lamech means the despairing. Noah means rest or comfort. Let's read those as one sentence altogether. Man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. Wow. What is that? That sounds just like a description of the condition of man, the arrival of Jesus to teach us and the death of Jesus to bring us to eternity, all from the very first list of people's names in the Bible. There's no way that in the human that that got manufactured and put in there or fabricated uh, through the generations. Many of the Jews did not believe Jesus when he did come, and they still don't. So why would they put that in the Bible anyway? That is God working on history to create his story right from the beginning and to start promising us the central person of all history, Jesus Christ, right from the very beginning. So why is it so important that you know this morning that Palm Sunday is God's promise fulfilled? Because if a promise is, is something good that has been spoken that's due to arrive, then Palm Sunday says that Jesus is the person who fulfills God's promises of someone good from the Old Testament at least 300 times over. That is why the Galilean crowd go crazy as Jesus rides into town on Palm Sunday and are shouting Hosanna, which means save. Because they grasp at least something of who this Jesus is. There's shouting, there's praise, there's branches being laid down, there's coats being chopped on the road, there are kids running along to keep up. You can see it all, can't you? Promises made, promise fulfilled. Now that could not be in stronger contrast to the arrival of our gang leader, Stephen Lungu at this Christian tent mission on the night of the 14th of May, 1962, in Salisbury, Rhodesia. He and his gang had intended to firebomb the meeting, causing terror, mayhem, and destruction. But when he gets into the tent, something incredible happens. The preacher describes sin. And then the preacher himself breaks down in tears, saying that he feels that the Holy Spirit has told him that some people there at that meeting might die without Christ. Stephen is completely and utterly captured by the presence of God and he's suddenly convicted about his own sin. He also thinks the preacher is addressing him directly because of his gang's plans to take people's lives. And he's completely amazed because he feels totally found out. Has that ever happened to you? You've been to church and you feel like the minister was speaking straight at you and you feel totally found out by God? That happened to him that night. I just want to read you a very short extract uh, from the book about what happened next. Uh, it's just uh, really exciting stuff. Just bear with me. The 
preacher then repeated 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that, through, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Suddenly, I began to understand what Christianity was all about. It was for someone like me. I could identify with this Jesus. He had suffered in all the ways that I knew so well. Poverty, oppression, hunger, thirst, loneliness. I had known all of these, and so had he. But the amazing thing was he had not needed to know such suffering, but he had accepted it in his love for me. He had come to earth for my sake to pay the price for my sins. My wages were death, but Jesus paid the price for me. On the cross, he had become a nobody that I could become a somebody. The preacher was now saying that anyone who wanted could have this Jesus. I could exchange my poverty and sin for Jesus' love and riches. The transaction that Jesus was offering me suddenly became clear. I stopped uh, bobbing about and sat still utterly at the end of myself. Tears for all the pain and loneliness and self-hatred and fear I had known coursed down my cheeks. If this great burden was not to be removed by this Jesus, I no longer wanted to live. Now, Africans are wonderfully tolerant of self-expression, but there is a limit. People in the crowd began to turn and stare curious at, curiously at me as I sat there so- sobbing. This was too much for the rest of my gang. They began to get restless, but I was beyond caring what they thought. I wanted nothing in the world but to be delivered of this intolerable burden of pain and hurt and evil that haunted me. Stephen then rushed forward, sobbing right in the middle of the meeting, wanting all that pain and misery and wickedness he'd been through to be taken away by Jesus. Now, at the same time as that, when, as he rushed forward, his gang misunderstood what he was doing. And they started doing what they had come to do. But the petrol bombs they had tried to throw didn't work very well. And only a small part of the, the, the tent fabric caught fire and they managed to put it out, I guess through the grace of God. But then there was a stampede uh, out of the tent into the night and the meeting broke up and there was complete and utter chaos that followed. There was rioting right across the whole district of Highfield in Salisbury that night. But right in the middle of it, inside the mission tent, Stephen stayed and gave his heart to Jesus. After it all subsided outside, he was then really shocked, and this all happened within the space of one night, to find that one of his gang member friends had been killed in the rioting. That, pre- that preacher's conviction from the Holy Spirit that people would die without Jesus came true much, se- much, much sooner than he might have thought. It's really important to know that those great people who had felt led to hold a tent mission were responding to the promise of God in their lives. The promise that God is good and his son Jesus can save people from their own wickedness, isolation, misery and despair. Stephen also responded to the promise of God in his turn too, just as those holding the tent mission had done. And that's transformed lives, transforming lives right there. And I wonder, is there anyone here today who might want to take that opportunity to respond to the promise of God for themselves as well? You know, there's something really important to understand about promises, which is that if they involve us or about us, then we have a response to make to them, don't we? When President Kennedy pledged that America would put a man on the moon by the end of the 1960s, he didn't do all that engineering and planning himself. He gave those tasks to NASA. Now imagine if all of those people at NASA had decided not to involve themselves in his pledge. That incredible achievement would not have taken place. And the same is true of God and us. When God makes a promise that involves us or is about us, he first sets up a picture in words of how things can be 
But whether it comes true for us personally all depends upon us personally responding for ourselves in faith to his promise. We've got people today who are getting baptized to demonstrate their response to the promise of God. And we're going to see that in just a moment. Now, when we believe in both the character and the word of God for ourselves consistently, then what he, promise, what he promises us will start becoming consistently true. God's promises always hold good and are always true. What is so often in question is our response to them. So the first major promise of Palm Sunday is promise fulfilled. The second major promise of Palm Sunday is promise exceeded. So how can what is already an amazing thing that God would send someone who would save people be exceeded? Let me explain. The Jews assumed that God would send someone capable of leading them in military victory against the Romans. But God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending a person who told his disciples to put away their swords and love their enemies. The Jews assumed that God would send someone who'd bring judgment on their enemies, but God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending someone with an offer of forgiveness, peace, and reconciliation instead. The Jews assumed that God would send someone who would establish the kingdom of God by removing everyone who did not live up to their law, both within their nation and also around their borders, but God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending someone perfect who purified people from sin itself by nailing sin to a cross in his own body as a perfect sacrifice and atoning for their sins himself. The the Jews assumed that God would send them someone who would be completely delighted with how they had extended and refined and built up his law into a massive and complicated and weighty structure through centuries of, of debate and scholarship. But God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending them someone who brought it all right back down to reality with proper perspective, deep truth, communicated in simple but powerful parables, and who affirmed that the greatest faith he had ever seen existed in the very person who stood for all that they hated, a Roman centurion. The Jews assumed that God would send someone who would draw them all together in a powerful political rebellion, but God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending someone who confounded the religious authorities over their own hypocrisy, who called their religious, white, uh, their religious leaders whitewashed tombs, and who instead connected directly with sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes, the demon-possessed, the poor, the sick, the blind, the deaf, the dead, the overlooked, the foreigner, the oppressed, the neglected, the uneducated. The Jews assumed that God would be sending them someone who would uphold and affirm and endorse their religion, but God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending them someone who didn't just want all his law upheld to the last iota, but who much more importantly than that wanted their hearts in a personal relationship with him. The Jews assumed that God would be sending them someone just for them as a nation, but God didn't do that. God exceeded that by sending someone able to save every single person in the whole world willing to respond to the promise of eternal life and receive it for themselves. Promise is exceeded on Palm Sunday. God's word says, doesn't it, that God is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than, we, than all we ask or imagine. And many, many of the people in this room here today can tell you that they know the Lord Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And I find myself wondering, is there anyone here today who would like to step into that promise of God for themselves? After Stephen was first saved in that tent mission, Jesus Jesus went on to do immeasurably more in Stephen's life than he could ask or imagine, exceeding everyone's expectations. 
After learning to, read and li- uh, re- learning to read and write, he had to do that. Stephen was trained up as an evangelist, and he ended up traveling all over Africa and the world, preaching and speaking and seeing many people come to Christ. He is married to Rachel. They have five children, and they've adopted others. He went, up, he went on to become appointed uh, the head of the Malawi branch of African Enterprise, which is an evangelistic federation. He then became the head of African Enterprise for the whole of Africa in 2005. What an incredible transformation from sleeping as an outcast under a bridge by himself as a boy. Only Jesus can do something like that. Palm Sunday is also, and thirdly, promise announced. Jesus entering Jerusalem that day, all those centuries ago, is a picture of something much, much bigger, which is still to come. Jesus is king in a heavenly city, and the promise announced by Palm Sunday is that Jesus invites us to join him him there at the end of time when all things are wrapped up and concluded. Hebrews describes Abraham as a person just like us, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The difference between this heavenly city that we await and which is promised by Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is that the heavenly, in the heavenly city there will be no religious subplot brewing under the surface. There will be no discontent. There will be no leaders like Pilate or Herod who are only concerned with political expediency. There will be no angry mob for religious leaders to incite to convict a totally innocent man. There will be no Barabbas lurking in the city jail about to be released in a total travesty of justice. There will be no trial at which the Son of God gets accused of being the Son of God because people simply cannot believe he is the Son of God when in fact he really is the Son of God and they were completely wrong about him all along. There will be no sarcastic sign nailed above his crucified body claiming this is the king of the Jews. No, this time Jesus as the true son of God and the king of all humanity, not just the Jews, will indeed be the true king of this eternal city, the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. He will be the lamb upon the throne. John's vision in Revelation is the promise announced by Jesus riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, fully dressed for her husband, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's what I want to ask you this morning. Is your name written there? All three levels of promise in Palm Sunday greatly strengthen our confidence in Jesus. Promise fulfilled gives us great confidence in God's sovereignty over history. And that Jesus was always God's plan for us from even as early as the first name of the first man ever created. Promise exceeded reminds us that where God is involved, far, far more is always in view if we step into the promises of God. A life spent following Jesus is way, way more exciting, challenging, unusual, amazing and full than you could ever imagine. Doesn't it say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him? Promise announced gives us great hope for the future. That all that the Bible tells us is coming will indeed come about. 
We can have great confidence in God's sovereignty over the future, just as he has had over our past. There's a couple of ways that I'm going to invite you to respond to the promise of God this morning. And we're going to do the second of those after our baptisms, which will happen in just a moment. But the first way that I'm going to encourage you to respond is to dig a little deeper into your prayer life. Now, why do I say that? Because I think that when you pray in line with God's will, you sow the promise of God into someone's life. I'd like to share one more story uh, from Stephen's life with you. It's an outstanding testimony of the promise sowed into a life as the result of prayer. When we pray, it unleashes godly promise all over everything. And I'm going to read you another very short extract from the book in a moment, but I just want to explain what happens. So 30 years on, Stephen Lungu has been this evangelist. He's traveled around. He's an incredibly well-established speaker. And he goes uh, and he's part of a mission in Durban in South Africa. So this is 1992, 30 years after his conversion in May 1962. And so there's a group of these evangelists and they're preaching in all these different churches. And he, he has to go. He goes back to Peter Maritzburg, a couple of hours drive away. And there's a phone call that comes through and they say, Stephen, do you mind standing in for somebody because we're missing somebody? So he drives down there, two-hour drive, gets to this little church in the back of beyond, little Methodist chapel, quiet neighborhood, goes in there, greets the people, gets a warm welcome, starts to preach, gets 15 minutes into his testimony about firebombing this, this tent and these two old ladies start nudging each other. They start looking in their Bibles and he's a little bit, annoyed he's like well why are you interrupting me what's going on here so he just decides to carry on and he's just carrying on and carrying on but they keep nudging each other and eventually they stand up and they start walking down the aisle to the front and he's like ladies I'm trying to preach what are you doing you know like I've got a message to bring here and they say that they want to speak to him and he says no 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 no. listen you need to wait till the end of the meeting I, I I've got some stuff to share and they say no 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 we've got to we've got to speak to you let me share what happens it's awesome No, we must share it now. We must tell you something now, fluttered the old lady, swaying dangerously. Come here, come here, said her friend, waving her Bible at me. My heart sank. I knew I was beaten. With a sigh, I stepped off the platform and went down to them. Whatever was this all about? The two old ladies just reached out for me and gripped my hands. They stared up at me as they could not believe I was there, like I was the answer to something big. It was quite unnerving. I had never met these two old ladies in my life before. You, you. One old lady trilled, God gave us you. You are the answer to our prayer. I smiled weakly, yes, dear sister, uh, but what are you talking about? She tapped her foot impatiently and looked at me as if I was a stupid little boy. You have just said, she said accusingly, that you went to a tent meeting of the Dorothea Mission in Highfield Harari in May 1962, that you were the leader of the gang. Yes, I said, and if you'll just sit down again, sister, I will tell you what happened next. We know what happened next said the other one, giggling with joy. Her friend thrust her Bible into my hands. Look at this. It is my Bible. Look at what it says there. She pointed shakily to a page at the back. The soft leather of the Bible was limp with use and age. The paper was thin. There was some handwriting on a page at the back, faded and hard to read. It began with a date, 14th of May, 1962. Beside the date was written a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, will you save one gang leader tonight? The 14th of May, 1962, had been the night of my conversion. 
I felt the past reach out a long arm and grab me. The force of the shock was that violent. These two old ladies whom I'd never met before had prayed for me and my conversion on that night 30 years before. But I never saw you that night, I stammered. I don't remember you. Well, of course not, one old lady replied. We weren't there. We were housewives in Durban. But we knew about the Dorothea missions meetings in Highfield Township outside Harare, and so we were praying. We asked God for a gang leader. But until tonight, her friend continued, we never knew how God had answered that prayer. I could scarcely take it in. These two ladies had been praying in their white, middle-class Durban kitchens back in May 1962 while I was entering the mission meeting in Harare, intent on petrol bombing and mayhem. And in specific answer to their prayers that night, the Holy Spirit had moved in my life, opening my eyes to the reality of Jesus' love. Any time you don't think your prayers are working, think again. Your prayers unleash the promise of God in ways that you have no idea about. So I want to encourage you to dig deep in your prayers. That's the first response. But should we do some baptisms, Pastor Mark? And we'll do the second response after the baptisms. Looking forward to it. Let's go.